Hi, everybody. Welcome to the August 16th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the Air Quality Control Commission voting 8-1 to this week to adopt a zero-emission vehicle program. Colorado becomes the 10th state in the country to adopt the standards, which Governor Polis touts as a key victory, giving consumers, what he says, more choice of vehicles. Patty Cahoon from Westward. Governor Polis is pretty proud of this one. Uh, Looking at his press release today, is this a big win for him? It is a big win, and it's one of the things he talked about right when he got in office, and he got it through. It's also a big win for whoever wants to make electric-powered trucks because that's 58% light trucks of what people want to buy in Colorado. You can't really get them. And to Tim Jackson of the Colorado Auto Dealers Association, get on that immediately. We understand your dilemma. (laughs) And, Tim, we know you're watching because it's Friday and it's Colorado Inside Out, so we know you're watching, and thank you for doing so. Uh, Next up, we have Joey Bunch, Deputy (laughs) Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. It's great to have you back, Joey. now, this seems like a big win for Governor Polis, but it was an executive order and a commission. Uh, I don't know if he appointed the commission or how that really go- goes, but I don't know if it was much of a fight. How does this rank as a win for Governor Polis? Well, I think it's more of a statement than a, than a sea change. You know, this is something that, um, that Governor Polis said he wanted. It's another thing that Governor Polis has gotten, but it's a bold, liberal statement. Now, does it make a big difference? It's 5% of the vehicles. Well, I think it's really going to make a difference in, in the rural areas of Colorado where the current technology just isn't, isn't well suited for that. So I'm with Patty. It's time for the auto dealers to provide trucks if they want these to uh, sell in rural Colorado. Michael Fields, Executive Director of Colorado Rising Action. Uh, Michael, uh, what do you think about, uh, I guess, the, the ability for Republicans to characterize this as overreach? Is this what we expect if we have Governor Polis as governor, or is this something a step too far that they can run with maybe next year? I don't think it's a surprise. Obviously, this is something that they've talked about for a while. Uh, I do think it hurts the overall market. I mean, Tim also talked about how there is enough supply right now. The question is, there's not the demand there. And when that happens, if you're forced to have manufacturers buy certain cars or ma- produce certain cars, uh, the cost gets put on to, to the consumer and people who really want to buy these things. So I think the market will get there eventually. We all want good air quality, uh, but this might have some unintended consequences. Natasha Gardner, Articles Editor, 5280, rounds up the panel. Natasha, in a state known for uh, its trucks, at least outside the metro area, you get, you get outside of Denver, it's, uh, we should be, I think, especially with, with, between our agriculture and our mountains, uh, be known for trucks. Is this going to make a dent? Um, I think so. I, mean, I don't think they would have pers- pursued it if they didn't think that that was a possibility. And as as already been said, I think the market will catch up. You know, I personally was on a road trip last week, so I, I'm firsthand familiar with driving into the gas station, having to fill up, knowing how far, once you get out of the urban corridor, how far it is from place to place in the state. So what's interesting is that unlike some of the other states that have implemented this, Colorado is a great testing ground to find that middle space between, okay, you're driving in in a city from point A to B and there's gas stations all around you or there's electric charging stations all around you versus someone who's driving in a rural environment in this state too. So I think what was heard pretty loud and clear was that there was some compromise between those two agendas in Colorado. So maybe that's a potential starting point for other conversations in the state where we can find some middle ground between rural and urban interests. I adore your optimism. This whole middle ground (laughs) conversations, discussions, it's it's just wonderful. Very nice. (laughs) Former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper announced the end of his 2020 presidential campaign on Thursday. Hickenlooper released a video where he said that he will never stop believing that America can move forward when we all work together. 
Talking about optimism. Hickenlooper also took the time to address a potential U.S. Senate run and said he would give a quote, he would have to give it some serious thought. Patty, what is giving it serious thought? What, what does that mean? I think it means he's going to think about it seriously because he's certainly been encouraged not only nationally where there's been a lot of push because Cory Gardner looks so vulnerable. But, you know, at this point, this coffee cup might be able to beat Cory Gardner. Um, He looks vulnerable. And locally, people are pushing, but maybe not as much locally as it seems when you're off in Iowa. Because immediately after Hickenlooper put up that video uh, yesterday morning, folks, he kept the same message he'd had when he announced he was running back in March you know, very kumbaya, come together, let's work together. Several of the Senate candidates, what are there? There are 11 already still out there. We're, we're not welcoming, welcoming him into the fold. I don't think Dan Baer or Mike Johnston said anything, but certainly Angela Williams really took off and said he's not as progressive as the message people want to hear these days. So he's not going to be welcomed quite as widely here if he decides to get into the race. But I still think that's up in the air, too. Joey, who does Senator Gardner want to run against, Hick or the field? Oh, I think he wants to run against the field. You know, if Gardner is so vulnerable, why are Democrats running like they're terrified? Why do they have to go out and recruit John Hickenlooper when they've got a field of some pretty quality Democrats out there? Either they're not taking anything for granted or they know something that, uh, that the punditry doesn't know, that, that Gardner is not going to be as easy to beat as they think that, that, they think that he is. Uh, and he's a great retail politician. So I'm looking forward. I've been waiting for two or three years now for a Hickenlooper-Gardner matchup to see who can win this contest of personalities. So, um, you know, and if you don't think personalities and entertainment manage, matter, then you haven't looked at who's in the White House. I say, get in, Hickenlooper. I want to see the show. I'll bring the popcorn. <laughs> That's, people ask about politics with me. I, I really enjoy covering the circus. I'm with you there, uh, Joey. Uh, Michael, if you're, I mean, Cory Gardner, and, and I, I, I only disagree with Patty with, with, uh, in very careful situations. I think Gardner could actually defeat a coffee cup and maybe a, a lot of different people in the Democratic field. He thread the perfect needle when he beat Mark Udall. He only beat him by, I think, less than two points, but he thread the perfect needle. He was the guy in the rolled-up blue shirt in front of a windmill, and he looked like a Democrat. Because, and then also Mark Udall ran the worst campaign he possibly could. Uh, if if you're looking at this uh, race right now and Hickenlooper jumps in, I don't know if he clears the field unless he can come out with some enormous pull that he's ahead of everybody. Uh, are we looking towards a the two a a uh, kind of a a big food fight when it comes to the Democrats in this one? I think they're they're clearly they're going to stay in the race, um, and I think that's something that was you know talked about this week. Uh, they're not going to be welcomed in, in, the, in the field cleared. Um, but I think there is some confidence given how bad Hickenlooper's presidential campaign was. Uh, they say you need to catch fire when you are running for president. I don't even think he got lukewarm. I mean, he was sitting at 1%. Uh, it was really bad, and it's, it's, it's tough. Presidential races have a lot of scrutiny. I think Michael Bennett's right behind him and, and exiting pretty soon. Um, but I think when it comes down to the Senate race, National Democrats will be behind him. He's up early in the polls by a big margin. Uh, but he does have some problems. These people are going to stay in the race. They're going to go after him. You have progressives like Joe Salazar, who doesn't like him, uh, John Morris came out and talked about the gun bills and said, look, this, this wasn't Governor Hickenlooper that did this. Um, and you also have an ethics complaint that, uh, about Hickenlooper's travel that's still out there, hasn't gotten ruled on yet. And lastly, he said he wasn't cut out to be a senator and that he didn't want to do it. Um, that you know, could have an impact on some voters. But I think he's the front runner. Um, I, I don't know how damaged he'll be come out of, coming out of this primary, um, but it's going to be a heavyweight fight between uh, the, kind of the, the, the top people on both sides of Democrats, Hickenlooper against Gardner.
Natasha, the, the, I long sometimes for the era of politics where either party would, would live by Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment being thou shalt not speak ill of someone. For him, it was your fellow Republican, but even to someone in your fellow party. That is not the era we live in right now. I don't think there, John Morris was a good example of uh, people, Democrats, more than happy to throw big, fat mud balls right there at uh, Hickenlooper. Uh, does that mean he's uh, maybe the national scene paved a much happier road for him than the locals here in Colorado when it comes to a possible Senate run? I think it paved a lonely road for him, which is why he's no longer pursuing that path. Um, I think the person who won won the quote of the day yesterday was Angela Williams when she said this won't be a coronation. Um, uh, that, I think, is is the takeaway. The interesting thing, though, if Hickenlooper does get into the Senate race, so often around this table we talk about, you know, you're a voter staring at a ballot, and more often than not you're staring at two names against each other. So if it would be a Hickenlooper versus a Cory Garner. This is one instance where I really don't think it is just that case, because then you have to look at who our other senator is. And if Bennett doesn't end up in the White House, guess what? He's still our senator. So then you start to look at who would be that second senator, and they're bringing something else to the table. And with Colorado voters, who notoriously are a, a fairly, not as even as it used to be, but split between Republicans, Democrats, and unaffiliated, would they look at a Bennett plus who's the next person and see enough diversity to match the state's um, needs. So I think that would come into play for Hickenlooper or whoever else is on that ticket against Gardner. Denver International Airport has terminated their contract with Great Hall Partners for the renovation of the main terminal. The termination comes after disagreements over safety precautions, timelines, and change orders. The project originally started with a budget of $900 million, but was expected to have taken an additional $288 million in many more years to complete. Joey, uh, Mayor Hancock pulled the trigger on this one. Um, well, I think it heated up quickly. That is, I keep waiting for that Ron Burgundy meme that that escalated quickly. Uh, so I guess it would be the mayor to, to call that shot. But uh, did he make the right move pulling it this quickly? I don't know. This has just been such a mess. You know, this, things like this, I didn't think things like this were supposed to happen in Denver. This seems like a, you know, like a Boston or a, uh, or a New Orleans or a Chicago type thing. But maybe this is the Denver normal now. But, you know... The DIA should be a sense of pride for us. You know, it's a hub airport, but instead it's just been one mess after another. And I think that it's time to make a lot of changes out at DIA, not just this. You know, we we, we respect their best and the brightest to be working out there. And it feels like Lucy and Ethel at the chocolate factory, So, except they're sticking piles of money everywhere. So it's time to clean this mess up, Mayor. Where are you? I hope there's no one out there doubting why we call him Ratings Gold Joey, because he, he just doesn't get the kind of metaphors like that. Well done, Joey. Uh, Michael, uh, anytime you pull a contractor from a big remodel job, uh, it usually does not shrink your budget. It's only going to increase. Uh, is, is, the face, is the city facing a, a growing boondoggle here? Yeah, I think so, and I think that's clear with the response that uh, the contractor had on this, saying a lot of these problems were the airport's fault. There was weak concrete. Uh, they had to get around you know, certain checkpoints at the term. I think this is a problem that even if you go back to square one, which city council and the mayor and everybody's going to have to do, uh, it doesn't fix some of those fundamental problems. And you know, there's a lot of conspiracies about what's underneath DIA. Uh, I think it's just a money pit. Like That's all that's under there is a, is a money pit, because uh, when it first started, DIA was $2 billion over budget. It was 16 months 
months late. Um, you know, you look at, at the, the contractor is a big concern, and I just don't think it fundamentally fixes this problem. This isn't tax money that we're dealing with, but it is our money in terms of concessions and fees and everything else. Um, I think we're getting to the point where the best part of a trip to DIA is, is unfortunately going to be taking the A line, which is really embarrassing for us. That is really saying something, Michael. It's a good point. Um, Natasha, it didn't look like Denver had much of a choice when you saw how quickly it uh, escalated. But was this the right move? Um, I think so. I, we're, we're at a situation where the news only gets worse as time goes on. And to, to go back to conspiracy theories, I think DIA wishes that they were in the time period where the, the media requests that they were getting were related to those sort of things. Instead, um, it's sort of a nonstop bad news cycle coming out of Denver. And it's been that way actually for years. It's just sort of project after project, whether it's a signage outside of the airport, um, you know, something like the Blue Horse and whether people like it or not, the, the hotel. Um, now we're talking about whether concrete is strong enough or not. And, it, and the list continues to go on and on. Um, at the same time, it's overshadowing all the great things that are happening at DIA, but that's never going to make the news. It's never going to be about all the nonstop flights, how the impact that this has on our economy if we're continuing to have these sort of construction delays. So I think moving out of that cycle and getting to some space where we can start to talk about completion or, or what the actual budget is going to cost will be good for Denver and for the airport. But at this rate, who knows, we might have space travel before we have a finished DIA. <laughs> uh, Patty, uh, Mayor Pena was able to hand off the wonderful project that was DIA and the baggage everything else to Mayor Webb. Uh, will Mayor Hancock be handing it off to uh, some other uh, mayor four years from now because it's still up in the air? Pardon the pun. Let's hope not. We're going to need those Martians who live under the DIA to come down and beam us up at that point. Travel back in time with me to when DIA was first proposed and it was $75 million over budget. It was way behind. behind um, and the city call, got rid of its first architect, Augie Perez, and hired Kurt Fentress. That's a name everybody in this town should remember because he came up with, he and his partner came up with the iconic tent roof. They figured out a way to make the terminal come in on budget, cut $75 million, get the bonding going for the airport. So they got that airport back on track. As thanks, we might have all noticed that Kurt Ventress was not brought in to do this expansion project when they started talking about it 10 years ago. Um, they should be calling him right now on the phone because he had a plan. Um, and instead, a year ago, we were sitting here talking about why was city council fast-tracking this plan, which basically seemed designed not just to turn DIA's main terminal into a shopping mall, but to give the shopping mall management rights and most of the money to a Spanish firm for 34 years. I mean, it was a bad plan. City council didn't take long enough to study it. They could have gone back to the drawing board. The new city council might very well do something like that because they seem more than willing to stand up to Mayor Hancock's administration, and we need to look at it now. Maybe we don't have to have an orange Julius around every corner at DIA. <laughs> if that was the headline of actually trying to push this, I might support it more, but I think you make a great point. Two bills are under consideration by the Denver City Council that would implement a pollution tax on electricity and natural gas used by businesses in Denver. The money generated from the pollution tax would provide grants and other incentives to reduce Denver's carbon footprint. The Council's Finance and Governments Committee voted 4-3 to, to advance the bills, despite the objections from Mayor Michael Hancock. 
Uh, Michael, when I hear things like a pollution tax, I think it's like a, it's a modern-day indulgence. Pay it now. You don't have to worry about the sin of turning on your air conditioning. But I think they're probably just as effective. Uh, perhaps I'm being too cynical. What do you think? Well, I think it's a bad idea, and it was even worse process. Obviously, they wanted to get something on the ballot for this tax uh, in November, and so they had to move quickly, but it was a 4-3 vote. Uh, Mayor Hancock did weigh in and say, we're going too fast on this. We haven't talked to stakeholders, small businesses, low-income people that might actually bear the brunt of this. And I think it's clear so far that this new city council is going to be extreme. As a conservative, looking at this, you kind of expect that in Denver, uh, but I think they're even further uh, along those lines. And it's why I uh, love the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, because this is something that goes in front of the people, and if the people say, this is what we want, we want to do this. Uh, but I think this has moved way too quickly, uh, and it's going to have a lot of unintended consequences. Natasha, um you put out something that's a business tax. It comes out as a headline. It feels that, well, that doesn't affect me as a Joe taxpayer. Then great. But any sort of business that has an increased cost is going to pass along somewhere. Uh, is this just a, a way to get around to passing a tax for everybody in Denver to take care of our carbon footprint? Well, it depends on how you feel about taxes. <laughs> um, I would say that in, in this case, um, we're going to learn a lot. We're going to learn about how this is going to impact individual businesses, how it might filter down to the individuals. If it gets on the ballot, this conversation is going to continue, and I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of money thrown at both the pros and cons. I'm not surprised that this is going to be on the table. Many of the candidates are running for city council. We're talking about the environment. We're talking about things that Denver can do to lead the way. Um, that's part of a national and an international conversation that's going on as well. I mean, when we, we look at this, this is all part of, I think, a bigger conversation that's happening about the Green New Deal and this question of when do we have to do something. Um, and that's a difficult balance for a city to weigh. Are we pushing something through too fast? And then you have environmentalists that are saying, well, we've waited decades, perhaps even longer, and we, don't have, we haven't accomplished what we need to accomplish to get where we need to go. So regardless, the, and, and I've, I've done this before, but I will say the only thing I can predict here is that people are going to learn a lot about taxes and a lot about the environment in the next couple of, of weeks. It's a safe prediction. Uh, Patty, you're a Denverite, you're a business owner. Are, do you think you'll be paying a pollution tax sometime soon? Well, plenty of hot air already at Westward, so uh, <laughs> we should be fined right now. The problem here is going to be businesses that already are feeling very hard hit in Denver, and it's not because of the carbon tax, it's because of property tax and the Gallagher Amendment, which puts an undue weight on businesses for their property taxes compared to residents. And I think at this point, it makes sense that residents should share the burden. I mean, they are getting a deal. They're getting a deal on their recycling. They're getting a deal on the carbon tax if businesses have to pay up. And that's the lesson we really need to learn now, which is, are we putting an undue burden on businesses if we want to keep businesses in Denver so we can go to work there in our electric cars? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Joey, Michael Hancock, Mayor Michael Hancock says he's against us so far. Do you think he puts a stop to this even if it gets through council? No, I don't think so. I mean, Michael Hancock is a Democrat and he is a liberal. He's just not as liberal as this city council. My column this weekend is about how far to the left and how fast this city council is moving. But they were elected to effect change, and this is change. But make no mistake, any cost to business is a cost to consumers. You know, Democrats, on one hand, can't complain about President Trump's tariffs and say, oh, that's going to cost us money, and then turn around and say a pollution tax on business isn't going to cost people money. It's just what cause are you adopting? And, you know, I, I'm not surprised that the city council is doing this, but I am surprised at how fast they're moving on it.
The Cardinal Springs Police Department released the body camera footage from the shooting of Devon Bailey on August 3rd. The video shows two police officers shooting Bailey in the back as he was running away. The video was released as the investigation continues into the circumstances of the incident. Natasha, they said that, they being the officials in Carl Springs, that the video would be released if it did not impact the investigation. So if all of that video is being released, uh, does, it, does it tell you anything about the status of the investigation? I wouldn't speculate on that. All I can say is that watching that video is really difficult, as it should be. It should be difficult to watch a human being lose their life. Um, this is a difficult scenario. As someone who's covered um, the police and officer-involved shootings in the past, what's amazing to me is, is that the, the circumstances change, but the concern and the community impact doesn't really change. You know, certainly um, a few years ago, this was the type of thing that front-lined news. It was, it was a big national story, um, and that's fallen off the wayside um, in different ways, but something like this that happens close to home for so many people brings it all up again. And the answer is that police forces have been doing a lot, communities have been doing a lot, um, but when you have to look at footage like that, you realize how personal it is for people who are individually involved in that case. Uh, Patty, I think sometimes with uh, the advent of more available being available, that People are hoping that, oh, then now we'll have our crystal clear answer. Oh, he, he pulls out a gun? Well, yeah, absolutely, had right. Or he was totally uh, complying and they did something. This video doesn't seem to shed a kind of light. It seems to be just as, uh, I guess, confusing even after you watch it. But I'm not a lawyer, doing, nor do I play one on TV. What do you think about watch after now seeing the video? Well, it, there are a couple things that are really interesting about that video. One is... First of all, that body cams are so now omnipresent, but they don't necessarily solve things. So I thought when you heard the officers and how reasonable they sounded and when they were speaking to him, and you also saw how young these kids looked, um, it, and then one takes off and runs away, and you really don't know what's going on. I said it earlier, but it's not particularly funny. When men reach in their pants, you often are surprised by what you find. But here's the thing. What was, did he have a gun? Did he not have a gun? There's still some question there. There's no question that he was running away. He was not pointing a gun as he was running away. He was running. Now, was he planning on doing something more? It's hard to know, but he got hit by four bullets in the back. Joey, uh, Cara Springs does not have a clear case with just the video. Clearly, there's going to need to be some more explanation once the investigation is finished. Um, does this seem like a, a murky situation for Colorado Springs from your perspective? No, I think everybody just has to look in their own heart and find their own answers because I don't think the video gives us those answers. I'm like Patty. I see a, a young kid who paid a price with his life for making a dumb decision. Uh, you know, I see cops who made an instant decision. What I took away from the video, and I think that the public should take away from all of these videos, is how these things happen and how fast they happen. Mm -hmm. And they're not as clear. Officers have to make a decision in a split second. But in this situation, it seemed like the kid was running away. I didn't see the kid posing a threat to these officers. But, you know, that's what I saw. Everybody, as hard as it is to watch this video and as hard as it is to watch a young man die, I think that we need to, uh, to look at this situation and, and look at ourselves and look at our country and that the way that we handle, handle crime and, and perception and I don't have a good answer. I just have a lot more questions. Michael, wrap it up for us. 
Well, I think one, I think the body cameras are a good thing, even if it's not totally clear, uh, you know, and, and it gives you a total answer. I think it was tough to watch this. It was a very sad outcome. Um, but I think it should be investigated. It should continue to be investigated. Uh, he was running, you know, he was suspected of a, felon, uh, of a felony. He was running away with a weapon. He could have been a danger to the community. You can kind of see, uh, you know, the argument on both sides of this. I think there's a difference between what can be prosecuted and what is, you know, wrong legally and what is the best outcome. And so I hope this is looked at for training purposes and say, look, maybe you could have done this or maybe you could have done that to get a different outcome. Well, it's time for a very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Well, talking about city council moving too fast, did on the DIA expansion and on the new scooter rules, maybe it's time to take a little more time to figure out if we really have more scooters and more scooter riders who don't know what they're doing than the city needs. Joey. Uh, Patty Calhoun going on television talking about what men find in their pants. <laughs> You were looking for one earlier. Uh, Michael. Uh, the Colorado Sun did an analysis of $223 million of tax credits that have been going out the last five years in the state and found that there wasn't much evidence that they are creating economic activity that would otherwise happen. So I think this kind of cronyism is a bad idea, bad for our state, and I hope we reverse some of it. Natasha. Uh, with some Colorado-based research this week about plastics in our rain, I'm waiting for someone to do a parody about plastic rain. We're they going to find our skin pretty soon. Uh, time to say something nice about somebody. Patty. David Hallis, the former state historian, a wonderful man, a gentleman, and a scholar, and also critical to this state's understanding what really went on at Sand Creek Massacre. He's going to be buried up at the uh, Northern Cheyenne Reservation this weekend. He's a big loss. Joey, you found your disgrace during the show. Where'd you find your say something nice? President Trump, he's proposing that we buy Greenland. But I propose that we buy Canada, get our health care, and stick them with the bill. (laughs) (laughs) Michael. Uh, I want to give some credit to the metro area for bringing in a lot of good performers over the last eight days. You had the Rolling Stones, Zach Brown Band, uh, you had Backstreet Boys, Billy Joel, I went to that. And so people are having a lot of, of fun, and those seem to go pretty well. Natasha. As kids are heading back to school both this week and next, um, we also got reports on how Colorado students um, performed on tests. Chuck Bate did some great reporting on that. Um, More of the same with some slight improvements, um, but really just wishing everyone, the teachers and the students and the parents, good luck as, as everyone goes back. We are kicking off our uh, August Pledge Drive, so if uh, you're uh, a big fan of this show, uh, we hope you are. And if you want to support it, please do. You can give us a call or send us an email. Go to our website. There's a lot of different ways to join us. And if you're saying, well, gosh, now they're in Pledge, I'm going to miss my favorite shows, we even have a better deal for you. If you go to our website and join at uh, only $5 a month, you'll be able to get Passport. That is CPT-12 Passport. So that gives you access to all your favorite PBS shows. You can watch them whenever and wherever you like. So we definitely have you covered and we hope you join us uh, anytime through our August Pledge Drive. Again, these shows are made possible through your support. It's a locally produced show, a locally supported show. Thanks for making it happen. For everybody here at Colorado Inside Out, I am Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.